Welcome to episode four of the Creative Mornings Sheffield podcast. Creative Mornings is a breakfast lecture series for the creative community. Every month in cities all over the world, the creative and curious come together to drink coffee, eat donuts like they're going out of fashion, or in the case of this episode, delicious, delicious bread, and then finally hear a talk by someone outstanding. Creative Morning Sheffield is the Sheffield chapter, organised by Penny Lee. Each event is documented through pictures, video, and this very podcast. I'm Ian Broom, and this episode features Kim Swan, who talked passionately to a captivated audience about the power of bread. This was and really felt like a very special Creative Mornings event. We all met at the amphitheatre overlooking the city and heard from some friends of Sheaf Valley Park about the history of the area and the work that they do. We then slow-footed it 200 yards to the old sweet factory where Kim had the cob oven all fired up for us. We ate real, marvellous, scrumptious bread with butter, jam and a hot brew. Then we heard Kim's story. It was a non-tech, open-air, survival edition Creative Morning Sheffield. And it was brilliant. You're about to hear Kim's talk in full, but first, some short sponsor messages. Partners for this Creative Morning Sheffield talk include Make It Matte Black for the sterling video work, Tom Smith for the amazing photos, yours truly at verymeta.com and of course friends of Sheaf Valley Park for putting on such an amazing morning. Go to creativemornings.com sponsor if you'd like to sponsor a future talk. Creative Mornings is supported globally by MailChimp, Shutterstock and Wix. If you want to listen to the Creative Mornings global podcast head to creativemornings.com podcast. I'd never moved to Sheffield, I'd never live here, it's a dirty place and who would want to? And um, so I consider myself not so much born and bred but reborn and bred <laughs> here because I've been reborn in Sheffield. So I went to, to Paris um, just to see what would happen um, and Toby used to come on the, the train from here to St Pancras, St Pancras to Gardenor. So I just sort of think Paris to Sheffield, port à port. And I also think that I like to rebrand Sheffield as the Paris of the North because it has so many parallels and people dispute this, but I've lived in Paris for two years and I'm telling you it definitely is. So when I came back, my main question was after having lived in Paris where there's a baker on every other street and they're open seven days a week and if they're not, the one round the corner is, so they kind of take it in turns. And they're open from six in the morning till nine at night and they bake bread four times a day because who would want two-hour-old bread with your lunch? I mean, it's unbelievable. So I just thought, I got home and I just, when I went to Paris, I thought, well, oh, the bread's great. But actually, I became really, really snobbish about the bread in about a month. And I'd walk past a bakery and go, oh, it just smells so bad. And I'd go, I'd walk miles to the very best bakery. So I now could tell you the 10 best bakeries in Paris. And I happen to be lucky enough to live near to one. So um, that was an amazing experience. And when I came back, I just thought, where am I going to get bread from? Where will I get it from? Now, we happen to be really lucky in Sheffield because we've got the Artisan School of Food just a stone's throw away. And all those bakers there 
their training are just spilling out onto the streets of Sheffield and opening artisan bakeries left, right and centre. So we're completely ruined in terms of we can get fantastic bread. But we can also not always get to those bakeries. They're not round everybody's corner. And so I started to think, right, I've got to make it. And I became obsessed. So I was making different types of bread for a day. I was having to sell it because I had so much bread, no person could eat that much bread. Um, and uh, I, I very quickly learned quite a lot about myself, actually, in making bread. That impatience does you no favours in anything, really. And being in the moment and going with the flow often gets you much better results. And it was so exciting to have what really is wallpaper paste in a bucket turn into <laughs> something like that that is magical. Um, when you get it out of the oven, the only time I've been... In fact, I don't even know if I was that proud. When I had two children, when I gave birth, I think bread kind of takes it a bit above that because it's like, oh, my God, there's another one. And it is like it, it's born out of the oven. So I was completely obsessed with bread and I kept sending my brother photographs three times a day of this amazing bread. He was going, for fuck's sake, stop sending me pictures of bread. It's the same loaf. I mean, it's not the same loaf. It's a different loaf. So I just became this obsessive. And I think, as you probably know, when you do something that's really worth doing, you do need to be obsessed. You need to be so motivated to do it um, that I think, you know, being creative people, you're very lucky when you get up in the morning and you do that thing that you've got a compulsion to do. There isn't really a choice, you've got to do it. So I have to make bread and it's not a bad state of mind to be in. Um, so, um, when I was in Paris, I also started a secret supper club, which was a little fantasy of mine. I mean, basically, if anybody thinks here, give up a job and go and live in Paris for two years, do it, because it's amazing. People offer you jobs, like, on the street, you're just walking along, they go, are you English? Would you like a job? And it's just easy to live in Paris. It's like getting into a warm bath. You just lie back and relax and it all happens. Um, but when I was there, I started a secret supper club, which just became huge. And um, I was featured in um, uh, Le Monde magazine and uh, loads of people wrote about it and it was hugely secret, obviously, so people didn't know when they were coming, what they were eating and all of that. So I really got into cooking for other people and I called my supper club New Friends Table because I think the world's full of new friends, you just haven't met them yet. And the ones that you have got, you might want to just clear them out every now and again and just find the new ones. Um, uh, because you just get worn out. Um, so I did that. And when I came back, I actually go back to Paris occasionally and still do New Friends Table. But this idea of the table, you know, the table's the thing. For French people, when they get married, they don't buy a TV, they don't buy a bed. The first thing they buy is a table. The table is the most important thing. And whether a table is... To me, um, just a little square tablecloth on the ground or a packet of sandwiches with a few people gathered around, that is a table. Sharing food is really, really important. And the word uh, companion comes from the Latin companis, which means somebody who shares bread with another person. And as soon as you do that, you're their friend, as we know today. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to the, can you hold on to that? Because I'm not at that point yet. Um, <laughs> and um, when you go abroad, what you notice is the bread. When you go on holiday, when you travel, you notice their bread. It's different from your bread. 
And when you leave your country, diaspora miss their bread. And they, you know, they take it with them. Sometimes it's biblical, you know, it's manna food from heaven. It comes down, there it is. It's, it makes you who you are. So three years ago, we, we organized a festival in the amphitheater. I had a project called uh, Sheffield Born and Bread. And there are 126 languages spoken in Sheffield at any one time. And all of those cultures have a bread. It may not look like a bread to us. It may be more like a, a, pa a pancake, like the farinata, which is made of chickpea flour. But it's a staple. It's something you mock gravy up with, basically. And it's the thing that is on the table every day. Whatever else you're eating, it's there. And I'm old enough that when I was growing up, my granddad used to make us eat two slices of bread and butter before we had our tin strawberries because we only had three strawberries each in a dish and we had very beautiful dishes molded gorgeous in green and pink they looked amazing but you just got three tin strawberries so if you wolf those down they're gone so you eat two pieces of bread and butter first and then you you're not so fast to eat your strawberries so it's it's really partly gone out of our culture when I was in France, I did um, a Christmas lunch for French people before Christmas. Just, just, I was teaching kids, so I wanted to show them what Christmas lunch in England was like. And they were like, where's the bread? I was like, we don't have bread. We have bread sauce, but no bread. But they went out to the bakery. They could not eat that lunch without a baguette on the table. It's impossible for them to do that. Um, and in uh, Hungarian and in several other languages, the word for bread is life. So, you know, today, your reaction today is really interesting because people are very excited by good bread. And where's he gone? Where's the guy gone? Where's the guy gone? You. Me? Yeah. So, what's your name? Jack. Jack. When Jack arrived and he's a, a graphic student, illustration. illustration, beg your pardon, um, said straight away, oh, I make bread. And the thing is about bread, it makes people like you. I'm sure they liked you before, Jack, but uh, they didn't like me much. <laughs> so it makes you popular. People love bread and people love people who make bread. And being a baker has never been a cooler thing to be. Um, people are giving up perfectly good jobs to become artisan bakers. So what's the history of bread? Um, basically, grain, wheat as we know it now, was grass. And Toby will tell you the bit of information that he's better at telling you now because he's reading a book called Sapiens. Just give me that snippet about cooking. Um, well, when there were multiple human species around, because of course we're Homo sapiens is the only one left, we exterminated all the others. Um, one of the things that gave us huge competitive advantage was the fact that we cooked, that we used fire to process the food. And in doing that, if you take uh, what a chimpanzee, how a chimpanzee feeds now, it takes five hours to get the same amount of energy that we will get from in 40 minutes because we can cook grass, we can cook grain, we can convert meat into a new product that gives your big brain the energy it needs. So it's really, really important. We haven't got a big enough brain to stop those blowing everywhere, but we, we did have a big enough brain to, to convert grains and meat into high energy to feed our big brain. So, going towards the theme of survival, that when I when you're talking about that, because I don't read, I'm too tired to read, I just go to bed and sleep, but Toby reads and then passes me snippets of knowledge, and I was like, that's amazing, because basically, 
we we discovered fire and we cook something and it enabled us to grow and our brain to develop faster and we survived out of all those other species we survived but i think i was listening to the um wreath lecture the other day and um the quote i remembered from that was um that um uh history is something we carry inside and that really struck a bell with that because I thought, why do we joke about, you know, men and their barbecues? Why do we get so excited about having a candle in the house? Why do we like a live fire? Why are we attracted to this, which is really dangerous, um, but we've enclosed it and we've made it safe? And I think there's something deep, 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 deep down seeded inside our brains that clicks when we see fire, that that thing of cooking something with fire you know I've got an induction hob it's fantastic but it's not very exciting fire is really exciting when you cook with fire and you also need skill to cook with fire you don't want to burn it you know getting that to the right temperature today I mean you've come along here thinking oh, so easy baking bread in an oven it's a nightmare let me tell you because not only have you got to get the dough to the right point before it flops you've also got to get the fire to the right point at the same time and uh, it's, it's difficult enough if you're a professional baker. If you're just an amateur like me, um, it, it's far more difficult. So I think it clicks with us, this, this fire idea. It's a really important thing. And um, so um, the other thing that I, I really think that bread is important for is um, your hands-on idea. Okay, so a lot of you are all obsessed with screens you're stuck to screens a lot of the day and your thumbs are doing this and all of that and so am i but sometimes your brain is really shouting the whole time about this stuff and your eyes are doing that and you need this calm some of you will do yoga or you'll do meditation or you'll draw or you do something else so for me bread does that and i think bread lies somewhere between life drawing and massage and I think when you're looking at bread, you see shapes that you just want to draw. You know, they're just so involving, really. They draw you in. But then you've also, at the same time, I was listening to a programme yesterday about life drawing on the radio. I'm painting a house at the moment, so I listen to a lot of Radio 4. Um, and um, she said she really wants to touch the life model. Obviously, you can't do this unless you're related to the life model. But you do want to touch, and you're never allowed to in life drawing classes. You can just draw, but really what you want to do is go round and feel everything. And I tell you what, that bread is so lively, the dough for that. So I, I left it in the fridge. When I got it out and started folding it, it's like a bum, it's like a buttock, it's like a thigh, it's like a stomach, it's like a breast. It's like, it's the feel of those things. And that is really exciting to be making that and feeling that every day. It just feeds something inside you that's really important. It's using that other half of the brain that most of the time we're not using. I think it's really important, as this is recognised all the time now, everybody's talking about making, city of making, all of that. Making stuff is really, really important and using your hands is really, really important. So, it brings me to um, doing things as well slowly, slowing, just slow the down, <laughs> because everybody's like, I've switched my phone off, I was on WhatsApp because I was doing the festival, I can't bear it, it's just boing, 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 and I've just like, I'm having days where I'm not looking at my phone at all, 
which is excruciating. It's like giving up coffee, but I think we need periods in our life, time when we're gonna slow down and just stop everything else and just focus on this beautiful, beautiful thing that's just growing and it's alive. That's the other thing. I think this, the, the Holy Trinity for me is cheese, bread and wine. So they're all live, living foods. And um, somebody told me, who's an expert on fungi, that the DNA of yeast is closer to human DNA than it is to plant DNA. Closer to animal DNA, I beg your pardon, than plant DNA. Now once you know that, you know that you're not mad when you've got 11 and you actually think of it as a real person and you actually look at its mood and you care about it and you fret about it and you don't want to go on holiday because you don't want to leave it and all of those things make sense when you know that and, and also when your partner throws away the leaven that you've been four years developing and you almost split up over it that makes sense as well he's keeping his head turned he's not looking um, so year of making last year I thought it would be a great idea because basically I've always wanted to build one of these ovens so I thought um, it would be a great idea for Friends of Sheaf Valley Park to get a grant we've got a £500 grant what did that pay for? It paid for the kiln-fired bricks, which are made in Sheffield, at a refractory, and it paid for things like the peel and um, the sand that we needed. And so we had three Sundays, 36 people on each day, sometimes different people, kids, aunts, kids. Um, we, we took all that stone at the bottom came from a house further up, we brought it down by wheelbarrow and honestly everyone was like, like this with the wheelbarrows and you start to think, hang on a minute, we're just moving this stone, we haven't quarried this stone, we're not the guys who 150 years ago on Claywood Quarry here dug it out of the ground and shaped it, we're just the guys who picked it up off the floor and suddenly you start to realise doing something in a really low tech way, how bloody hard it is to do stuff with your hands and you appreciate you know this whole house people men shape those stones it's just incredible so we got those we made a sand dome all the instructions are on here I can email you the instructions if you'd like them and then we um, got the clay out of the ground which we had to test how much clay was in it, it should be about 25% clay and then we added sand to that we got the kids with their bare feet and wellies on a big sheet here, sprayed it all with water, got them stamping it so they made it into a really nice, mushy, malleable clay. We made clay balls, we built the wall and um, over a, a big dome of sand with some wet newspaper and then we put straw into it for insulation and we, we put that on um, and then we made a door and we made a hole for the door and then we had to wait while it dried out and we had terrible weather after we made it so we had to wait about a week and then we took that off and we had to take a little bit of sand out every day and fire it and it was a, a huge huge task 30 odd people for three days so that's over 100 people for a day if you imagine that tech took to build that thing um i'm just about to build one myself uh, but a much smaller one but i know now what it takes um and then on the last day we, I woke up Italian in the morning and so we put a, a long table up here with white tablecloths and people arrived with salads and food and sardines 
and we made pita breads all day long in this in this oven okay. and everybody that's it we did it in black and white just so it looks so oh, great and we had a big community meal out here for about 70 people i'm just going to send his phone out do you want to take his phone <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh and so it was a really fulfilling event because people not only made the dough and they made the bread, they made the oven that made the bread. And in fact, the wood over there was donated by a guy who was chopping a tree down. And so people came from the group and chopped the wood because wood, wood is cheap when it's like that, but it's the processing that costs the money. Um, and so uh, we also did another event at the end of the summer called Need and Squeeze. And that was, uh, because we've got apple trees growing in this park, so we gathered the apples, we got a, an apple juicer, a squeezer, what are they called? Apple press, that's it. And uh, five of us made sourdough pizza base and people brought their own toppings. But as I kept saying to people on the day, it quite upset me really, because people were like, yeah, we're gonna throw all this stuff on, we've got, got pineapple, we've got pineapple. And um, all this stuff that shouldn't even be near me at all. Um, and I kept saying it's all about the dough. It's all about the dough. Whereas most pizza manufacturers will tell you it's all about the toppings. Forget the toppings. It's all about the dough. And people suddenly went, oh my God, this dough tastes incredible. Well, of course it does, because it's being cooked at 450 degrees in a wood-fired oven. But not only that, it's made from a leaven that's come out of the sky. You know, the yeast has just flown into that jar and made the, the wild yeast. And also, it's developed over five days. It's got an amazing flavour. It's got a tang and it's crisp. Um, and so that was a real eye-opener. But the most exciting thing of the day was people loading their own pizza into the fire. Because Toby's like getting that going now. It should go white on the inside once it's hot enough. And then you push the ash back to the side and then you can bake the pizzas in the middle. And they cook like 90 seconds, really, very, very quick. I mean, there's a few wood-fired pizza people in, in Sheffield uh, now, so it's not so unusual. But it was amazing. People were so excited about loading it and getting it out because when you use the peel, to be honest, it's not that easy. You kind of, you, you go, right, I, I can do this. And you kind of shove it in and some people like throw it to the back. And then other people, it's just like, just a little tilt and bring it out and getting it out again. They, they panic because they're going to lose it into this fire. Um, and it is a really kind of Dante's Inferno. You know, we, we've just, we know from the news what, what's just happened. Fire is so frightening. It's so petrifying. Uh, it's a thing of nightmares. And yet, it's the most incredible thing to work with as well. Um, and in fact, Irena is a friend of ours and uh, we've stayed at her house in Italy, which has an old, it was a mill, and then it had a fire at the side. And so people used to bring their flour to be milled and then they could actually bake bread at the same time. And we were idiots when we lit that fire because we thought yeah, it would take a couple of hours like a barbecue. I've seen, seen since an Italian family doing it on YouTube. It takes three days to heat that fire and then you have to have everything ready. You have to have all your tarts and everything. So we've got a falling oven now. So it started very hot last night. It dropped to bake the bread, which is about 240 degrees for French bread, 220 for normal bread. Um, we cook the soccer in a slightly hotter oven at 300. So now Toby's giving it hot again, so we've got some pit pitta bread dough that we could cook some pitters in 30 seconds. 
And then if you let it go down, later on I could be cooking a quiche, a fruit tart, and then overnight I could put meringues in it. And often what I do do is put some wood in there and we've got kiln dried wood for the next time that we use it. So in fact, you know, when you get it going, there's a hell of a lot you can cook. You can cook for a week really in it. Um, but what I realised about doing the bread oven and getting people together to do it was people responded to it in a way that it's quite hard to get them to respond to other things. You know, we've had a festival. It's hard work getting people to come to a festival. Um, but actually people will come for bread. Um, you said people like you, you know, you become really popular when you make bread. People request things as well. People request I things. Yeah, so already this lady here said to me, do you sell this normally? And it's just like people, people are really into it. They're really pleased. See, I'm a member of the Real Bread campaign and there's some uh, postcards over there. And on this board on the other side, you'll see a list at the top of all the ingredients that supermarkets put into bread. So really what I think is important for our survival is to resist the, the, the food processing that goes on and bread is the most important item of that. They're allowed to lie to you about what's in bread. You know, you go into the supermarket and you lovely that lovely bread section that looks like a bakery. Oh, let's have some freshly baked bread. If you try and find anybody to ask what the ingredients are in that bread, because it's not labelled, it's open, you'll be shocked, I guarantee. And uh, there are things in it that are actually made from things like feathers and um, pig's hair. So it's shocking once you start to delve into it. But what's more shocking is that now they're allowed still, and it's just been gone to court, they're still allowed to say that it's artisan food when it's not. It's chilled in a factory somewhere else, half-baked, brought in on a lorry, you know, finish the break, bake off in the little supermarket. Um, nobody really cares what's in it. Nobody cares how long it's been um, uh, proved for. And the longer it's proved for, the less yeast you need. So if you think of a triangle with thyme, water and yeast, the more time you have, the, the more you can reduce the amount of yeast that you use. So if you want to make a, a bread in an hour, you can. Just shove loads of yeast in it, make it quite wet and put the temperature on. But if you want really a development of that flour, then give it time, put less yeast in, chill it down for a bit and, uh, and really experiment with those, those three points on that triangle. So, um, I'm coming to an end now. Where is she? Where is she? There. Are we all right? Yeah. Um, so, um, the, also there was a parish oven on this road at some point, and parish ovens existed all over the place. When you go on holiday in North Africa or in Eastern uh, Mediterranean countries, you often find a community oven where people will bring their bread in to be baked by somebody who's making his bread anyway. And you're just making use of the resources of the village, really and making use of the of the wood um, and there was one on this road so the idea of this is now that if any of you would like to get a group of people together to come and make bread and bake it here you're welcome okay you just have to tell us and we have to be here because we don't want our house burning down but you're welcome to use it um, it's an open use facility really and you can do anything from pizzas to bread baking to meringues if you want to. Um, 
I also thought that when we did it, people would get the idea to go and make a bread oven somewhere else because Toby and I were going to go on a course. It was 140 quid to go on a course to find out how to make a bread oven. Then we were going to disseminate that information to everybody else. And then I went on YouTube and thought, don't need to go on a course, thank you, I've got YouTube. <laughs> so I found a really, really good woman in America and I took some of her ideas. I've got a book on it that I've been reading for years. And eventually I thought, do you know what? There's only a few things you need to know. And there's actually, um, when scientists went round and looked at all the bread ovens in Eastern Mediterranean countries in North Africa, there's one thing that they found they all had in common, and that is the ratio between the door height, uh, the diameter, and the height of the dome inside. And all that information is on there. So um, the dome height, I think, is 75% of your internal diameter and then the door is 67% of the height of your dome. As long as you do that, you're laughing, it's going to be all fine. Um, and you're also trying to keep the heat in as much as possible. Um, when you make a pizza, you're losing a lot of heat. When you put the door on, you're keeping it in. And I also, another piece of kit I bought, which is really fantastic, is that infrared gun, so that you can see what the temperature is. And sometimes it just says high, and that means don't go anywhere near it, don't put anything in here. Um, and when I put the... Um, the tray of oil in last time I did this for the farinata I put it in and it just went into flames and I, I panicked because like, oh, I've got a pan fire and I thought what do I do and I just I just leave it it just goes out eventually and, and pull it out again because it's all contained it's very safe so um, the the Talmud says it's got a whole bit on this but the last line is uh, no community no bread but I actually think no bread no community and uh, my question is then what can you do because I think at this point in our lives community is the absolute key to our survival there is nothing else we can do more than be part of a community that will enable the world to move forward in a positive way and so what can you do about that? First thing you can do is read labels and ask what is in this bread? And when you get your answer, you then need to make a decision and a choice. And either say, my body's a temple and I'm not putting that in here. Or say, yeah, that's fine. I don't mean to mind eating all that chalk. That's fine, because they do. They have to put chalk in flour in this country unless it's wholemeal. Um, it's disgusting, you'll be shocked. Join the Real Bread campaign. Anybody can join, it's 10 or 15 pounds, I can't remember for a year. You get, honestly, you'll just know, you'll be like, ah, oh, I can't believe they told me that now. You'll be like, you'll be bread fanatics in no time. Um, if you don't make bread already, have a go at making bread. Email us on there, our address is there. Um, and tell us if you'd like to come on a bread course because I run free bread courses or you know donation bread courses um, Have a go at making some bread and if it's cracked still bake it and then look at it and think I've no idea why that's like that and ask me and I'll tell you why it's like that um, It's the most satisfying thing you can do. I've, I still make mistakes. I've got a loaf up there. That's not very good Ant has got a loaf which he's like a bit ashamed of, but I don't think it was his fault. <laughs> it was my fault today that that went wrong. We know why. Cold? We know why, really. Um, but Ant um, is a perfect example. He's my exhibit B today. <laughs> Do you just want to say 
briefly what yeah sure um so what happened oh right okay so i did a bread course with kim which was cool um <clears throat> and it was a i got a bit of sourdough starter before it got thrown away <laughs> and um so i kept that going and i'd been making bread my aim was to after finding out about the ingredients and looking into it a little bit more and I'm thinking this isn't great you know I get that we've got a loaf of bread and it's gonna we buy it for our kids it's gonna last a week and it's all even and it's nice and square and we can make the sandwiches but this isn't ideal really so I thought what if I can get into making bread so I started uh, so I started experimenting it took me quite a while to get it right I started making round ones you know like the round loaves sourdough loaves but um, ultimately I wanted to I wanted to get it to the point where my kids would want to eat it for lunch. So, um, what I've, I've got four boys. So what I've got is got this little uh, loaf tin, and uh, started experimenting, and eventually kind of hit on the right kind of temperature for my oven, the right kind of way to make the bread, to make the dough. And uh, now I remember when my son, my 15-year-old Ben, came in and said, "Dad, your bread is amazing," and he's not particularly full of compliments for me. So <laughs> that was that was a big thing, and all of them like it. So now. Before I go to bed, I, you know, I'll, I'll slice off, you know, eight little bits of uh, slices of loaf, put it in a bag, ready for the morning, and and they eat that now for their lunches. And I think that that's the thing because you're a breadwinner, but bread you also winner. put bread on the table. These phrases we use yeah, all the time, and I think it's important because even people yeah. on really low incomes can actually make bread, but they may not have an oven to put it in. So that's why a community oven is really important. So once you've got into making bread, if you would like to make a bread oven, <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, that, that's a lot better looking than that one. Right? It's just like life drawing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, and basically, um, this is Sharu here, who, uh, did you make paratas in this before? Yeah. yeah. So any, anybody can make anything in it, basically. But if you want to make a bread oven, we'll give you advice, we'll come and help you, we'll give you a hand. You can have, I'll send you all that information. If you email us, we can send it to you. And hopefully you'll take it out there and you'll spread the bread word. Um, bread in my backyard, whatever, you know, there's all these, I mean, you get obsessed with kind of making phrases about bread. Um, <laughs> But all I can say is, whether you're making a loaf or whether you make a bread oven, make it and they will come. <laughs> That's it. And there you have it. A huge thank you to Kim Swan for her inspirational talk on all things bread. And thank you for listening. You can find out more about Friends of Sheaf Valley Park by visiting fosbp.org.uk. You can subscribe to the Creative Morning Sheffield podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or whichever app tickles your whatnots. And you can visit creativemornings.com slash cities slash shd or follow us on Twitter at cm underscore Sheffield. <laughs>